Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. We're continuing our deep dive into 1 Corinthians 13 with Bob Lapine as our guide. Bob is the author of Love Like You Mean It. We're still looking at verse 4 where Paul says that love is kind. When we closed last week, we were talking about how Paul turned the Greek word krestos into a verb, and by doing so, Paul put kindness into motion. He says this is how kindness acts and what kindness does. Kindness makes things easier and better. Kindness extends grace. That's what krestos does. We often think of kindness as something small or minor, a social grace. In our mind, kindness involves a mixture of good manners and mostly inconsequential acts of service. We are kind when we open the door for someone or let a person with three items go ahead of us in the checkout line at the grocery store. If you leave a generous tip or offer someone else your seat on the subway, you have demonstrated kindness. But the biblical idea of kindness is much bigger. A kind person is someone who seeks to actively and lavishly bless another person. Jesus' entire ministry was marked by kindness toward those in need. The poor, the sick, the outcast, all who would humble themselves and acknowledge their need. Let's consider how it is described in Titus 3.3. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now that's not very flattering, is it? Paul doesn't pull any punches. Instead of describing us as good-hearted people with a few rough edges, he makes sure we don't gloss over the reality of our sinful condition. He tells it like it is. Now think honestly for a second. If your spouse lived out that description on a daily basis— If he or she was foolish or disobedient, a slave to passions and pleasures, full of envy, malice, and hatred, how would you be predisposed to acting toward him or her? You might start out intending to be patient and kind, but that probably wouldn't last long. But look at what the Bible says about how God responds to our sinful nature. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. God's response to our sinful, self-absorbed nature is goodness and loving-kindness. God's kindness has a softening effect on our stubborn, hard hearts. The Hebrew word hesed is translated as God's loving-kindness. That word is used more often in the Old Testament to describe God's character than any other single word. In fact, more than 250 times. God's kindness toward us is big. It's powerful. It's the active expression of His great love for us. And our kindness toward each other in marriage is powerful as well. 
As we grow in this grace, and as this fruit of the Spirit becomes more a part of our transformed character, our love for one another takes on a new, deeper dimension. God's kindness toward us softens our hard hearts. Our kindness toward one another can have the same effect. Kindness acts like a marital disinfectant, cleaning away the corrosive buildup that can weaken a marriage. But kindness doesn't come naturally. Think about it. We have to teach two-year-olds to be kind toward others. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit, not a function of the flesh. It's not our nature to be warm or generous, thoughtful or helpful toward others, to actively seek someone else's good. The late Louis Smead said that kindness is being ready to enhance the life of another person. It is enormous strength, more than most of us have except now and then. Kindness is the power that moves us to support and heal someone who offers nothing in return. Kindness is the power to move a self-centered ego toward the weak, the ugly, the hurt, and to move that ego to invest itself in personal care with no expectation of reward. The early church father, John Chrysostom, said that kindness goes beyond nobly enduring a wrong. It goes beyond serving or comforting the one who wronged you. Kindness, he says, is seeking to cure the sore and heal the wound of a broken relationship. In other words, kindness is not a sentimental feeling we have. It's a rugged demonstration of our active love for another person. You know, we sometimes let ourselves off the hook when it comes to kindness. We say, it's the thought that counts. But that's not really true. We can think kind things about our spouse. But until we act kindly toward him or her, we haven't really loved him or her yet. Where does this kind of love come from? How do we cultivate kindness in our marriage? Remember the Greek word krestos, the noun that Paul turned into a verb? That word became the identifying label for the first Christians. The ancient historian Tertullian says that in the early days of the church, Christians were sometimes called Christiani, instead of Christiani. It was a play on words. The Christ ones were the kind ones. They were no different from us. They were not somehow more naturally predisposed than we are to be kind to others. So how did kindness become an identifying characteristic for them? The same way it will for us. Kindness grows in our hearts as we meditate on the remarkable kindness of God demonstrated by the sacrifice of Jesus for us. As you think about how God has lavished kindness on you, God will stir in you a desire to become a channel of God's kindness toward others. The crucifixion of Jesus is the most profound demonstration of God's loving kindness in all of history. And the more we consider it, the more we think about it, the more it begins to reform our own way of thinking and acting toward others. As a practical matter, C.S. Lewis said that the way to cultivate kindness, or any of the characteristics of godly love, is to decide to do kind things whether we feel like it or not. He says the following, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Do not sit trying to manufacture feelings. 
Ask yourself, if I were sure that I loved God, what would I do? When you have found the answer, go and do it. Bob says that if kindness is missing from your marriage, the first step in growing in grace is to confess to God that your lack of kindness is a sin against Him. Don't make excuses for yourself. Don't try to justify your hard-heartedness. An absence of kindness in our lives reflects a lack of godliness. An unkind Christian is an oxymoron. We're not following Jesus when we aren't being kind. Bob goes on to say that once you've confessed that your lack of kindness is a sin, take time to study and meditate on the kindness of God for you. Go to a website like Bible Gateway and do a word search for kindness. Read the passages that describe kindness. Take time to think deeply about all the ways God has demonstrated kindness toward you. And as you do, ask God to fill you with His Spirit, to empower you to respond with kindness toward others even when you're not feeling it. Come up with a list of ways that you can proactively demonstrate kindness toward your spouse. Your list will include specific actions you can begin to implement that can grow to become regular habits of kindness. It will include how you communicate with your spouse, giving focused attention as you engage with each other and as you learn to control a critical or harsh tongue. And it will involve acts of service you can perform that can help make your spouse's load lighter and not heavier. You know, kindness can seem like such a small thing. But researchers who have studied the differences between marriages that thrive and marriages that struggle have come to this conclusion. The amount of kindness expressed in marriage is the single greatest predictor of marital satisfaction and stability. It's the glue that holds the couple together. Now let's continue on in verse 4. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Think back to when you got married particularly if you were in your early 20s. Many of us had a faulty view of love. We were in love with how it felt being with someone who thought we were special. We were in love with the idea of spending the rest of our lives with someone who would be devoted to regularly reminding us of just how special we were. There might be a kernel of truth to the old joke about the woman who, when she was asked about the secret to her marital success, replied, we're both in love with the same person. Most of us have learned over the years how to keep our inherent narcissism concealed. It's clear to us how unattractive self-love is, so we do all we can to try to mask our vanity. But at the core, our default setting is arrogance. We are infected with what the Bible calls the boastful pride of life. Arrogance and self-love are the opposite of authentic love. They are the antithesis of what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 13. And when we fail to recognize and address our essential self-centeredness, the toxic gases of arrogance begin to poison our relationship. The word that is translated arrogant in 1 Corinthians 13 is a word Paul has already used several times in this letter. Well, our time's gone for today. I invite you to join me Monday mornings at 10 a.m. on my Mutual Understanding Method Facebook page for some live teaching about areas of your relationship where mutual understanding is critical. 
Also, you can read my Understanding Relationships column in Christian Living Magazine. Have a great and safe weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.